Sunday in South Carolina. Let's go. I love it. Hey, listen, I'm so pumped that you're here today. Thank you so much for being with us. We're going to jump right in today as we begin a brand new series entitled Binge the Bible. And uh, we got a lot to cover today, so if you came ready to take notes, you're going to want to write fast. If you didn't come ready to take notes, you're going to want to write fast, okay? Just letting you know, notes are going to be important for this. Um, Here's the goal of the series. The series is going to be, here's what we're going to do, is we're going to binge the Bible. It's going to be a long series. It's going to be about an 18 to 24 month series, Uh, but we're not doing it all at the same time. Calm down. All right, we're going to do it in seasons, right? Just like you do Netflix. We're going to binge it. Uh, in seasons. So we're in season one starting today, and, uh, and season two will be in August. Uh, through season one, we will get through the book of Leviticus, and then we'll pick up from there and move forward in August, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So give us some feedback. Let us know how it's going for you. Uh, things going to be amazing. Uh, as we walk through, here's what you're going to be able to do. At the end of each Sunday, you're going to be able to look at the books of the Bible and, and know who wrote it, when they wrote it, who they wrote it to, and how you can live out the purposes and the principles in each book of the Bible. How many of you know the Bible's only as good as what you live out of it? Okay, that was good for about three of you. Um, and so we want to walk through this thing, but today we're going to kick it off because the Bible means nothing if we don't know how trustworthy it is. How many of you grew up, you probably heard this, this, uh, this song, you probably sang it, maybe you sing it now, we sing it to Radiate Kids, we sing it to my kids, it's a great song, it's a phenomenal song, it's Jesus Loves Me. Well, you want to sing it with me? On the count of three, sing it with me. One, two, three. Jesus All right, stop. For the Bible tells me so, right? Great songs. like, yeah, Jesus loves me. I know he loves me because the Bible tells me so. Can I tell you, great song, great message, problem is the mentality stuck. And so now everything, the answer for believers is, well, the Bible says so. Can I tell you the answer, the Bible says so, doesn't mean anything to people anymore? And here's the problem with the mentality sticking. When the answer is only because the Bible says so, and we don't know why the Bible says so, and we don't know why it should be trusted, and we don't even know what the Bible says, we just know that we heard that, and the Bible says that, that, that it's that, so it's that. Can I tell you we're building a false faith? We're building a faith that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and is not going to hold up in today's generation. We got people, many of you are sitting in the room today, there are so many people that don't understand why the Bible is worth trusting and their whole answer is, well, the Bible says so and you're getting to a place in your life to where that no longer is good enough. And here's the problem. When we build our faith based on what our parents say, based on what our grandparents said, And based on what podcasts say, then we don't really have much of a faith. We're just repetitive and we're an echo chamber of what everybody else is saying. Now, I'm going with the TV today. Y'all know the joke has been for a couple years. If the whiteboard comes out, it's Professor Brandon this week, okay? You can't read what I write on a whiteboard, so I'm going to try this and see if I can help you read it a little bit better and help it make sense. So over this series, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to take my preaching hat off a little bit. I'm going to put my teaching hat on a whole lot lot more. Here's why it's important to understand the Bible. If we don't understand why the Bible is worth trusting, we will look past what it's really saying. If we don't understand why the Bible is trustworthy, why should I believe what it says? Why should, and can can I tell you something? 
If I don't understand why it's trustworthy, I'll never even get into the culture and the context of what it's saying. The Bible will become like every other book that we quote, and we'll pick and choose the parts of it that make us feel better. Or we'll eliminate the parts that we don't like. Or we'll use it in an inappropriate way, and we won't understand what the writer actually means in what he's saying, and we will quote a scripture and use it against people because we don't actually understand that it was written to someone specifically, not to you, but it can be for you. Come on, somebody. Y'all got to be with me today. Maybe the people online are shouting me down a little bit more today. That's why a lot of people, that's why a lot of us in the room would rather watch the news, read the podcasts, pull up the articles, than we would read the Bible. Because we don't fully understand why it's worth trusting. And then we want to go, why am I so fearful about today? Well, you're ingesting fear. You're ingesting people that thrive off of your emotions. And the Bible says, I don't give you a spirit of fear. I give you a spirit of, of conquering and of victory and of joy in the Lord. So maybe if I'm walking around fearful of everything that's happening in the world away, today I may be focusing on the wrong things. I'll pass what it's really, I'll look past what it's really saying. I'll look past what God's trying to speak to me. I love actually what uh, the definition of, uh, of our faith in 1 Peter 3.15 and how we're challenged here. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready. Always. Somebody say always. always. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness in reverence, always being ready to give a defense for the faith and the hope that is in you. If Jesus is the hope that is in you, can you explain why? If the Bible, rhetorical questions, if the Bible is something that you base your life on, can you explain why that matters? Because can I tell you something? That answer does not hold up anymore. Well, God said, really? Where? Where? When? How? In what context? In what culture? What does it matter? We have to be willing to give an account for our faith. We have to be willing and able to give an account for our trust. We have to be willing and able to give an account and a defense for the hope that is in you. And I don't know about you, but my hope is not in this world. My hope is not in your opinions. My hope is not in agreement. My hope is not in my wife and my kids. My hope is one and only on the sacrifice of Jesus and the foundation of Jesus Christ in my life and that is the only hope that I have and I've got to be willing to help people understand that in their life. At least for me. Because if I can't defend it, watch this, how in the world can I live it? And that's really what the scripture is trying to say. In fact, I believe that if you can't defend your faith, you're building a Jenga faith. I'm going to copy copyright and trademark that phrase now. You're building a Jenga faith. You all played the game Jenga, right? Jenga, like, you build the tower of blocks. It's individual blocks. You build a big tower. And the game is you're, you're taking the, the blocks out, and the goal is, is that you take the blocks out, the tower doesn't fall, but you want the tower to fall on the other person. You want it to fall when they're pulling the blocks out, right? 
But when you play with Legos, what happens? You lock those bad boys in, don't you? You can't even get them apart. In fact, if you put them in the right way, my, my kids love Legos. And, and, um, and I've had to take screwdrivers before to try to pry them bad boys apart. Like, bite them. You know what I like, I'll break it. I don't care. I'll throw it away for it. I don't, it don't matter. Like, it ain't, I don't care. Cry. It's on you. I don't have a seat for my motorcycle. Don't care. It wasn't real. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not that mean. But when you get Legos locked in, they're hard to break apart, aren't they? They're hard to pull apart. They're, they're there. We need a Lego faith, not a Jenga faith. And a lot of us are living Jenga faith because we can't do this. And that's why the moment something un, un, unplanned, something difficult, something emotional, something frustrating takes place in our lives, what's the first thing that, does, that happens? We start to wobble, baby, wobble, baby, wobble. Yeah, come on, y'all. Y'all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't shake your head at me. I saw you back there. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We got to have fun in church, right? It starts to wobble for real. It starts to shake. And then eventually what happens when another block gets pulled out? thing falls. God, where are you? You didn't answer the prayer that I prayed. God, you didn't do what I asked you to do. God, you didn't come through like I thought you would. And the whole time, the enemy and other people are just pulling those blocks, and they're laughing at the dance, the wobble dance you're doing, but it's not because you can't dance. It's because your faith is about to fall. And God's like, man, if you can give a defense for the hope that is in you, no matter who asks you for it, and you're always ready for it, then, man, you're living a Lego faith. You're living a faith that's locked together. You're, you're living a faith that's, that's there. And part of that is understanding, why can I trust the Bible? Why should the Bible be an important part of my life? In 2018, about five years ago now, GQ, the magazine GQ, put the Bible on a list of classic books not worth reading. Five years ago. Okay. Here was the direct quote from GQ about this. The Holy Bible is rated very highly by all the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have never read it. And I can't even deny that sentence. Well, because the Bible says so. Where? I don't know. Well, how, how do you know the Bible says that? My grandma said. Y'all, I hear that stuff all the time. Well, my, my, my dad said this. Yeah, but do you know why that's there? No, I don't, I don't have a clue. But my mom, he, he, the quote continues. Those who have read it know there are some good parts. But overall, watch this, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. I would agree with that. Man never produced it. And we'll look at that in a minute. But then it says this, it is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times, ill-intentioned. That is the view of the scriptures. That is the view of the Bible. That is the view of today. That is why we have to be willing to always be ready at every moment of our lives, to make defense, to defend my faith in God and my trust in the Bible. And can I be real honest today? Since we're online, I'm going to say it like this. 
most of us can defend our political argue, our, our articles that we read way better than we can the living scripture of Jesus Christ. The words of God. I know that's real because. I think this is real because. If we want a real faith, maybe you're in here and you're struggling with faith. Today is going to bring you to a greater understanding of that. But if you're in here and you've given your life to Jesus, today is going to take us deeper. Because we have to answer the question, what is the Bible? Before we dive in any further to relevancy and understanding and reliability and all those things, what in the world is the Bible? We have to even understand the, the, the Bible. Like, what is the purpose of it? What is it? I love how it is explained in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. It says this, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. The Bible is written by men. We're going to look at that in a minute. It is written by men, but it was not produced by men. It was produced by God. But here's the reality. We have to know that when we get into Scripture, that nothing that is prophetic, nothing in Scripture is because a man sat down and said, you know what I feel like writing today? Doom. Doom, I feel like writing this. I feel like limiting my own life, so I'm going to write it as Scripture. But every, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. In other words, they had laid, the men that had written this had gotten to a place in their life that the Apostle Paul talks about. I die to myself, what? Daily. Less of me and what? More of him. They had gotten to a place to where it was not about what they wanted to write and what they wanted to do. It was about being obedient to God the Father. It was about being inspired by the Holy Spirit. I know as you go through life, you're like, but I don't want to do that, God. These guys didn't want to do some of it. But God said, you know what? I'm going to use you. Sometimes, this is just a practical lesson for you, sometimes you got to put down what you feel like doing for what you know you should be doing. Because what's right isn't always easy. And what's easy definitely ain't always right. What is the Bible? Here, here's some, some, some reality about the Bible. The Bible was written in three languages. Three different languages. It was written in uh, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Koine Greek. It was written in three languages over a span of more than 1,500 years by more than 40 different individual authors or people on three completely different continents. It's quite a span, don't you think? That's a lot that's going on there. Let's keep looking at what the Bible is, some interesting aspects of the Bible here. The Bible was written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and spoken by God. You have to understand, first of all, if we're going to go back to everything that we just looked at, the Bible was written by men, absolutely, 100% written by human hands. It was written by politicians, it was written by farmers, it was written by peasants, it was written by kings, musicians, poets, tax collectors, apostles, disciples, and everyday normal people. Bible was written from everybody, from every stance of the world. It was written by somebody that occupies every area of life in that culture and in that time. It was written by over 40 different authors. 
but it was written by men, never, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoken by God. Why is that important to know? Well, here's why. Because over all that, there's 1,189 chapters. There's 66 separate yet completely connected books, and they're connected by one message. And you can boil every message in the Bible down to this, these three words, God loves you. It's that easy. And if we don't understand this, can I tell you what we'll use Scripture as? Condemnation. I love how my pastor says it. He says it like this. Condemnation is, an enemy, is a tool that the enemy uses to draw you further from God. Conviction is a tool that God draws, uses to draw you closer to him. If we aren't careful and we don't understand the power of the words that are in the Bible, can I tell you what we'll use it as? Condemnation. I will condemn you for your way of life. I will condemn you for thinking. Now, I agree that we don't stand for everything, but I also agree that God loves them. I also agree that God loves you. I also agree that it doesn't matter where you're from, what you do, or what has happened in your life. God still loves you right where you are, but way too much to leave you there. I believe every bit of that. And how do I believe that? Because I know the power that's in these words. I know the power and I trust the Bible. I trust what God says. Here's one of the best definitions I've ever heard of the Bible anybody ever say. God, the Bible is God's written word to the world, but it's God's living word to believers. Let me say that again. It is God's written word to the world. So if we haven't given our life to Jesus, and we haven't submitted and surrendered our current way and our current life to the Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we haven't done that, then this Bible is nothing more than words written on a page. It's great advice. And I get to pick and choose what advice I want to live by. I get to say, I don't like that one, so I ain't living by that. But that next verse, man, that was good. I'm going to quote that. Y'all know what I'm saying. But when I've given my life to Jesus, I don't get to pick and choose. Because it's not his written word, it's his living word. It's the word that I get to go out every single day of my life, and I get to live this out. I get to live out what this looks like in leadership. I get to live out what this looks like in relationship. And if you're a believer, can I give you some, some, some encouragement of something to do today, like a homework assignment? And it's this. If you're a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus, can I tell you, get in the word of God. I have people come up to me all the time. What Bible should I get? What translation should I get? I have my personal preference in my opinion. But I think God just would look at you and go, get a Bible that you can understand, study it, and live it out. Like, let's go start there. And then we'll figure out all the rest somewhere else. Go get a Bible that you can read that you can dive into, then go to blueletterbible.com, look up the scriptures you don't understand, and try to pull what God's saying to you there. Why? You've got to get the word in you, but the only way to get God's word in you is to get in God's word. I can't live according to the living word of God as a believer if I don't even know the living word of God. And that's what we're going to work on over the next several weeks, over the next several months, over the next, this series. Because I believe this, I believe this wholeheartedly, that scripture is God speaking truth to us in human words. I believe it's God going, I'm going to tell you spiritual truth in words that you can understand. You know, one of the reasons that I hear people say that they won't read the Bible very much is they don't understand what they're reading. Stop. 
Stop. Stop using that as an excuse. Because when you first went to work on the job that you're currently at, you didn't fully understand everything about that either and you didn't quit. I remember when self-checkouts came out. I wanted to break every last one of them. I didn't understand how they work. Now, send me to self-checkout every day of the week so I don't have to sit there and wait in line and I don't have to sit there and have small talk with somebody I've never met in my life. Y'all may look at me and go, well, that's not very pastoral. Well, judge not. Right? I just automate what's important to me, and that is important to me. No, like, you know, so why do we go, I don't understand what the Bible's saying. We'll try to figure it out. Yeah, but I can't read a chapter a day. Don't. Start with five verses. And just go, hey, God, what do you have to say to me today? Hey, God, what are you trying to tell me today through these scriptures? Because scripture is God, is God speaking truth to us in human words. But here's a question we got to answer, y'all. We got to answer this one. Is the Bible reliable? Now, I can't teach this part on scripture. Because if we don't know if the Bible is reliable, then me quoting scripture doesn't mean anything. Because it's, in, it's errant. It's messed up. It's full of holes. Here's what I hear every now and then. It's a, it's a popular phrase. The Bible is full of fairy tales and cool stories. I would agree with half that statement. The Bible is full of cool stories. <laughs> the Bible is also full of weird stories. Can we just agree on that? <laughs> right? You know, like, hey, let, Jesus is our Savior, but, like, being born of a virgin is pretty weird. It's historically proven, but it's weird. There's a lot of stories in there. It's okay to go, hey, God, that's a weird one. But there's something in there. What is, it's okay. Like, we got to get past this thing that you can't ever say anything God does is weird. Sometimes God does weird things. Okay? He's using a little, little guy from Elgin, South Carolina to pastor a church that my Sunday school teacher had to regularly kick me out of Sunday school, y'all. Because I wouldn't shut up. Like, that's true. <laughs> God does weird things sometimes. He's full of fairy tales and, real st- and, and cool stories. But here's what we historically know. Let's go to history. Historically, we know, not can assume, but it has been historically proven over time, multiple times by multiple people in multiple ways. Jesus was a real person. Jesus performed real miracles. And Jesus resurrected from a real death. All three of those things that are pivotal Pivotal to the story of, of, of the gospel. Pivotal to Jesus being who he said he was. Historically proven. Take scriptures out of it. That's history. Okay, that's great, but that doesn't prove the Bible. That doesn't prove the reliability of the Bible. Okay, fine. So they do this thing on historical documents called the manuscript test. And they look at all kinds of different things of what backs up the validity and the reliability of the historical documents that you're looking at. So let's look at some of these, all right? Here's uh, a manuscript test of the Greek philosopher Plato. He wrote the Republic. He wrote the Republic around 400 B.C. Now, this is a widely respected philosopher. This is a widely respected uh, document written by him. It was written around 400 B.C. The earliest copies that we have is right around 900 A.D. It's a time gap of about 1,300 years. Why does the time gap matter? Because the further you get away from the original, the more probability it is that the original context and the original meaning of the document was, was botched. They've missed more of the original meaning of what was written. 
1,300 years, there's a high probability that some of the original meaning of that document is no longer in the copies. And they have seven different copies. We'll talk about why the copies are important here in just a moment. Told you we were going to school today. Let's talk about another one, Tacitus, one you probably don't know a whole lot about. Tacitus is another philosopher. He wrote the Annals. Um, date written in 100 A.D., Right, the, the earliest copy we have is right around 1100 A.D. That's a time gap of about 1,000 a, a years. Right, So there's a high probability that some of the original meaning, right, are you with me, was probably lost. Why? That's a large time gap. right? So like if I tell you, hey, go take the trash out, and then I wait six months, like there's a large gap of things being missed in there. right? And there's 20 different copies of the annals. Let's go to one that you've probably heard of in school, right? Homer. Homer wrote Iliad. You probably had to read that in school, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you just got the cliff notes, passed the test just enough to get by, and continued going. Uh, but you wrote, it was written around 800 B.C. The earliest copies were found in 400 B.C., and that's a gap of 400 years. So we can look at that and go, it's close enough to the original that there's probably a large probability that there's a large context of that, of that original document of the Iliad that is still original. The meaning, all that stuff. And there's about 643 different copies of that one that we found. That's awesome, man. That's great. It backs up. They would all say that all three of these are legitimately the, the historical documents that they wrote. And the meaning is probably there on most of them or most of the meaning is there. Now let's look at the New Testament. There's many different authors in the New Testament. It was written around 50 to 100 A.D., Okay, the earliest copies we have are as early as 130 A.D. in there. And that's a time gap of less than 100 years. Again, why does that matter? Great question, glad you asked. Because that means there's not a very large probability that the original meaning of what was written in the New Testament was ever lost. Because there's less time gap for things to get lost in translation. Number of copies, there was 7, 20, and 643. In the New Testament, there's over 5,600 5, different copies of the New Testament. And if you include, I want to get these right, the fragments of the copies that are in Syriac, Latin, Coptic, and Aramaic, you will get over 24,000 copies of the New Testament. Now, why is that part important? Why does it matter how many copies you have? It's a great question. I want to illustrate it for you. You know me. I like telling stories, and I like illustrating things. Let's say that you're a part of my life group. You come over to my house. We're part of life group, right? I got got 10 of you at my house. And uh, you come over, and I make, like, I'm great at making muffins, y'all. I'm the best. You can call me the muffin man, you know? Like, I just, I can make the best blueberry muffins you've ever had in your life. You come over to Life Group, and you eat, I know it's a weird illustration, just follow me. You eat the muffins, and you're like, oh my gosh, I just tasted heaven. Like, it is the best thing I've ever had in my entire life. Pastor Brandon, this is incredible, this is great, I must. I cannot leave here without the recipe of these blueberry muffins. Like, absolutely, you cannot. So I write down the recipe of the blueberry muffins. I give you the recipe of the blueberry muffins. Now you go out, and because you are a part of a life group and God changed your life, now you're leading a life group, which is our model and what we love to happen here at Radiate Church. And you're now leading a life group. And you have 10 people in your life group. And guess what you do the first life group you got? You make them muffins, boy. You make them. Those 10 people show up, and they're like, oh, my God, this is heaven. This is so good. And you're like, yes, it is. And they're like, we can't leave here without what? 
the recipe. Give me the recipe. i got to be able to make these muffins. Now let's fast forward several years in time, and I pass away. My life is over. I know. It's detrimental. I ate too many muffins. And the greatest contribution as you are celebrating my life, the greatest contribution I ever made to your life was the recipe for the muffins. Okay. I hope to God that's not true. It's the greatest contribution in your life. And so to honor me and my life, when you leave that funeral that day, you go home and you're like, you know what I haven't had in quite a while? Pastor Brandon's muffins. I haven't had the muffin man's muffins. I haven't had them. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make some muffins. And I'm going to eat them in his honor. You go back, you go home, and you're looking for the recipe card with the muffins on it, and you can't find it. It's gone. Like you cleaned out your cabinets and threw everything away. And so you're like, where can I find this recipe? He's gone. He doesn't have the recipe. I got the recipe. Where's the recipe? I don't know where. Oh, I gave it to the 10 people that were in my life group. So you text the 10 people that were in your life group. You're like, hey, can you take a picture of the, of the muffin man recipe for me, please? I need these muffins to go on about my life. So they all send you the muffin recipe back. They get the muffins, and nine of them have that they're, you know, it's got it all written down, everything. And then over the ten, nine of them have that there's a teaspoon of salt in the recipe. And then one of them says there's a tablespoon of salt. Oh, my gosh, what do we do? We just throw the whole recipe out, don't we? No, what do you do? You go, well, they wrote that one down wrong. They've been eating salty muffins. (laughs) But what I can figure is because of how many copies of the recipe there are and how many say the same thing other than this one, one area of variance, I can probably say the original translation meant that there was what? A teaspoon of salt, not a tablespoon of salt. Thus, the manuscript test. Why it matters that there are 5,600 plus up to 24,000 copies of the New Testament. I think you can go back 24,000 times and go, here's what they meant. Why? Because it passes the manuscript test. But this is another thing that we hear a lot, right? The Bible is inconsistent and it's contradictory. I hear that all the time. The Bible contradicts itself. Does it though? Does it though? I don't know that it does. What about the errors? It's written by men. Surely they weren't perfect. No, they were not. Actually, if you go and read the stories and the backstories of these guys, you'll go, no, they're far from perfect. In fact, they'll sound a lot like you and me. Writing the scriptures. Here's, here's one of the things. I'll get to that in a minute. There are not contradictions in the Bible, but there are differences. In fact, let me say what Norman Geisler, a historian, says. He says the New Testament, this is not a theologian, this is not a preacher, this is not a pastor, this is not a guy, a monk, this is a historian. The New Testament is 99.5% textually pure. That's a lot, by the way. In the entire context, or the entire text of 20,000 lines, only 40 lines are in question, or about 400 words, and none of what's in question affect any significant doctrine. None. Of 20,000 text lines, none affect significant doctrine. Why is that important? Because it's important to understand that there is not a doctrine that has been changed. There's not a doctrine that has been contradicted. 
but there are variances and there are differences. Why? Because people wrote it. Are you the same person as I am? No. If I wrote my kids a letter and you wrote your kids a letter, it would sound different. It would say different things. And it would, you could write, we could all write a letter about today's experience of your church, of church today. And they would all probably get to the same context of what happened, but it would all get there differently. Why? We're different. That is the Bible. In the Old and the New Testament, most variations have to do with spelling, word order, grammar, and style, and less than 1% of all variations or differences have anything to do with doctrine. And as we just read from Norman Geisler, none of them affect any significant doctrine at all. That is insane when you say there's this many chapters, it was written on three different continents in three different languages by 40 different people. And it is that pure. There's only one way that this can happen. And you understand what that is, right? It's God. And so through the manuscript test and looking at history, we can conclude that the Bible is highly reliable and the Bible is historically accurate. We can conclude that, but that still doesn't answer some of the question, is the Bible relevant to today? Okay, it's reliable, but have you seen everything that's going on in the world today? Is it even relevant to what God's talking about today? Is it even relevant to what's happening in the world today? It depends on where you stand on the Bible. The Bible is, uh, uh, is reliable, but is it relevant? I want to I read 2 Timothy 3 and 14 through 17. I love this. It says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. The things that you have studied and you know and you understand and you are now basing your life on. Continue in those things knowing from whom you have learned them. That's why it's important to look in the book of Acts and know that they were sitting in church under apostles' teaching with each other. Why? you got to know where you learned it, and you have to be convinced of what you're learning. We don't just fill seats. We're learning with God. We're growing closer to Him. Let's keep reading. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. What do you think the sacred writings are? It's the Scriptures. It's the Old Testament. It's the Torah. It's all of those things. From childhood you have known them, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If, we, if the Bible is not relevant, what in the world points us to salvation in Christ? Nothing. Because look around you. Nothing in the world points you to Jesus. Everything in the world points you to who? You. That's why the Bible is so controversial. Because it goes against me and points to him. Let's keep reading. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, watch this, teaching, reproof, and correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If the Bible isn't relevant, then what do we have to cause us to have a gain at the end of the day. Nothing. Because the Bible will teach us, correct and, and reproof, or, or, or correct us, and it trains us to be more like God himself. You are not God. You will never be God. You won't even know everything the Bible says. But if I live my life based on the Bible because it's reliable, 
And I know that it's relevant in what's going on in today's world. Can I tell you what it will do? It will make me closer to righteousness. Everything you could ever go through in your life, everything you could ever go through in your life, you can find in the Bible. You can find help for it. You can find help for anxiety. You can find help for depression. You can find help for marriage. You can find help for decisions. You can find help for parenting. Wherever you are in life, you can find help in the Bible. It is relevant to every situation that you may ever face in the world today. Absolutely. The Bible is the explanation of what it means to live a life with the nature and the heart of God. Whenever I look to the Bible for answers, because it's reliable and it's relevant to life, when I look to the Bible for answers, here's what I learned. I learned how to love my spouse with the heart of God. Can I be straight with you for a second? I can tell. You can tell from me. My relationship with God based on how I treat my spouse. That ought to challenge us. Because there's some days where I'm like, no, the way I treat my spouse is different than the way I love God. And if you watched how I treated my spouse on Thursday, you would think I don't love God, but I do. That means there's a gap. And the Bible is teaching us how to love God, or love our spouse the way that God does. How to love our neighbor with the heart of God. How to make decisions with the purity of God and how to parent with the character of God. The Bible teaches us how to live a life with the nature or character and the heart of God. It's not going to tell you how to be comfortable in your life. That is why you will read it and you will not feel comfortable. You will read it and walk away and go, I really didn't like that. It's okay. That ought to be the case. Because it should challenge us. Because our natural heart is nowhere close to the heart of God. But God wants us in relationship with him to get closer. The Bible points us to God so that we can see his love for us and we can grow our love for him. Every time. Um, I celebrated 15 years married to my beautiful, amazing wife. On Wednesday, my son, yeah, that's awesome. I know, it's a miracle. She's put up with me that long. My youngest son turned five on Friday, and my oldest son turned 12 on Saturday. Um, and they're at a baseball tournament, last one of the season at the beach. I went yesterday and spent the day as his birthday, Friday night and yesterday with them, and got to watch him play. And on the way home, I was overcome with emotion. Because what I'm learning is the more I love God and the more I get into the Bible, the more I'm challenged in the way that I am to become more than I am. I, I cried more this week than I probably have all year. <laughs> um, and I, I, I texted my wife and I said, show this to Brody. It was his birthday. And I just, as I wrote it, I, I cried. And I just said, you made me a dad. And I haven't been the best one. I've let you down. I've gotten it wrong. But I promise you, I will work my butt off to get it right. You're becoming a man. And I will walk with you side by side in that journey. And my heart 
is to show you what it means to love God, love others, and have integrity through it all. And I may not get it right all the time, but I will bust my tail to do it. And that's my mentality to him, and that's my mentality in life. I ain't going to get it all right, but I'm going to try. But I can't try it if I don't get into the Bible. And I don't allow God to go, I need you to see what I see, not what you see. In fact, I love what John Piper says. Pastor John Piper says it like this. I love the Bible the same way I love my eyes. I don't love my eyes because of the way they look. But I love them because of what they enable me to see. What a thought. The Bible is going to enable you to see things at a completely different place. That is why the Bible is hard to understand. That is why the Bible, you have to know context and culture. That is why you have to know what God is saying. That is why the Bible should change our life. If you know scripture, but you can't treat people without being a jerk, then it hasn't yet transformed your life. It's just a bunch of information. Because it should enable us to see things differently so that we live differently. Here's your takeaway today. God is our Father. Jesus is our Savior. The Spirit is our power. And the Bible is our standard. That's the way of a believer. Of someone that has given their life to Jesus. Somebody that has given their life to the Father and said, I am yours and you are mine. Here's my hope today. My hope is that there is some kind of power, there is some kind of something on the inside of us that is awakened today. That goes, you know what? Maybe I fault about things that really don't matter because I don't even know what does. Can we be real about that today? I need to know this because it's God's living word to me. It's God's living word to you and it changes everything about our lives. And the more I know this stuff, I know you're like, that's a lot of history today, right? That's a lot of context today. Yeah, because if I don't get that, I'll never get this. I gotta get this too, man. And here's what I'd love to do today. Maybe... You're in the room. Thank you for giving me a few extra minutes today. I know you're in the room. and Maybe you're like, hey, listen. I've never seen that before. And that actually proves the point to me that I need Jesus more than ever. And I got to start by giving my life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. But maybe you're in the room. Here's my prayer is that you're in the room and you'd go, you know what? It's time. It's time to get more serious about this thing. It's time to give it my all. And there's a fire lit inside of me, and I want to live this thing out every day. I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to live it out. I'm not just going to read. I'm not just going to quote. I'm going to live it. I'm not going to use it as condemnation. I'm going to let it convict me as I'm an example to others. And that's my prayer, because we're about to jump into the books of the Bible, and that is going to help us walk it out every day as well. Can I pray with you? Would you bow your heads with me today? And if you're in the room and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, surrender your life. You can't do it without him. You want some salvation. As we're getting ready, there's teams getting ready to serve you on the way out. I just want to pray with you. That's all. 
And so if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, would you just repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I ask that you forgive my past, my present, and my future. Thank you for making room for me in the word of God today, at the table of God today. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice on the cross. That your blood was shed to pay for the sin that I couldn't pay for. God, thank you for loving me where I am. Way too much to leave me there. And today, I ask that you save me. And I give you my life. As you're continuing to pray, if you prayed that prayer today and you gave your life to Jesus, I would love nothing more than to walk this out with you. Talk with you, pray with you, resource you, whatever that looks like. If you prayed that prayer just now and you gave your life to Jesus, can I ask you just real quick, right where you're at, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, right here, I gave my life to Jesus today. I would just love to walk that out. Here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to give you a clipboard. And all I'm going to ask you to do is fill that clipboard out. Take it by the Connect Center. Give it to somebody in a yellow shirt on the way out. Because we want to pray with you and I want to resource you as we move forward. God, thank you for those that have given their life to you today. And God, I pray that today's message would challenge us, awaken us, and move us forward to walk in a life obedient to you and help us fall in love with you more because you are our Father. Jesus, you are our Savior. Spirit, you are our power. And the Bible is our standard. And let us not leave the message in here today, but let us take it out and live it out. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, can we make some noise for some people that gave their life to Jesus today? Let's go.